foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, and so on. I think one of the most painful experiences that any family can go through is where there becomes division and where there was deep love. It now has turned to, to hatred. And that's what we find in, in the, the experience of David, where we read there uh, in Second Samuel and also what this psalm is about. And that has been an incredibly difficult experience for David, where within his own family, and here's this son, a son whom he loved. And we do know that if we were to carry on reading through in Second Samuel and eventually see how Absalom is killed, the incredible grief, the fearful display of anguish and brokenness in the heart of David, even though Absalom was trying to kill him, kill David, Yet when Absalom is killed, David is absolutely devastated and brokenhearted. Uh, so we can see that Absalom was a son that, that David loved. But we know that Absalom was a schemer. We read about that. He was the most two-faced person on the, uh, that, that we could ever meet. He uh, pretended to his father that he was a loving, loyal son. And yet, on the other hand, he was working behind his father's back all the time for years he was scheming and he was trying to win the hearts of the people which he was doing and in fact it tells us that he stole the hearts of the people we read there of how he would when any person came and had a dispute he would meet him and say if I was in charge I would sort this dispute there's nobody ready to listen and when people are going to bow to him, to salute him because he was a royal prince, he would take them by the hand and he would kiss them. And people would say, we've never seen the like of this. And so Absalom, by deceit, he had no interest in, in, the, in these people. All he was doing was trying to take the hearts of the people away from his father so that they would eventually, when, the right, when he felt the time was ripe, that they would come and they would follow him. And so we find that this is the background to what has taken place here. But we know that Absalom's scheming and his deceitfulness is never ultimately going to win. It never does. It cannot. Because God sees everything. God knows everything. And these are the injustice and the deceitfulness that is so often. And we see it at all levels, even in our own society today. And people think they're going to get away with it. People think that they can win. God is not mocked, and there will always come a time when there is a, a when God will uh, will deal with this. And so often in life, we have seen this happening. Well, it was going to be so for Absalom as well. So Absalom leads this revolution against his father, and what is incredible, really, to to read is that here is this king, King David, a man that the that Israel really as a, as a nation, they loved him as a king. And yet Absalom manages to take their hearts after himself and turn their hearts against his father. And we'll, let us be quite clear, this was not going to be a bloodless revolution because Absalom was 
David knew that. That's why David says, we've got to get out of Jerusalem as fast as we can, because everybody will die by the edge of the sword if we stay here. He knew that Absalom wasn't going to just say, well, uh, we've got the numbers, we've got the people, it's up, it's over. He knew that he, Absalom wouldn't rest till he had killed all the opposition. And so uh, the, these, were, these were dangerous, these were, 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 were frightening times. And we see how quickly the people switched loyalty. And you know, that happens so often in life. I suppose the great example, the greatest example of all is in the time of Christ. Because remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the crowds were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were throwing the palm branches down and they were, there was this great sense of adoration and adulation of King Jesus. And yet in a matter of days, the crowd are no longer shouting Hosanna. They're crying, crucify him, crucify him. That's where the mob were. And that's the, the clearest picture I think we've ever seen of the fickleness and the changeableness of human nature. Of how one moment they can be going this way, another moment going that way. We see it in John's gospel. They were going to, in John chapter 6, they were going to make Jesus king. There was nobody like Jesus. By the end of the chapter, they're leaving him in droves to the point where Jesus turns and he says to his own, are you going away as well? And that just shows us how fickle human nature really is. Now, this must have been an excruciating, uh, painful experience. David went through highs and lows in his life. But I reckon this must have been one of the most painful of all because David knew you see, deep down, that he, in many ways, had brought this upon himself. You see, on, in a previous occasion when David was on the run, and he was on the run for years, David was on the run be purely because of the jealousy of Saul. Saul was determined to get him. But at, at that time, we could almost say that the slate was clean in, G in, in David's life. Of course, he was a sinner and such like. But this, what has happened here, has come on the back. If we had gone a wee bit further back, we were reading in chapter 15 uh, of 2 Samuel. But if we had gone to 2 Samuel chapter 12, after David's sin with Bathsheba, and then subsequently what he did, where he murdered, had Bathsheba's husband murdered Uriah, we find the prophet Nathan saying this to David. Uh, now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And David knows full well as he's on the run that this is part of God's judgment on him. God told him at the time that he was going to forgive him his sin because David repented, we see of that in Psalm 51 and probably part of Psalm 32 as well. We see that God forgave him the sin. But God said because of what he had done, how he had so dishonored his name before him and the people that, that uh, the, this is what, what was going to happen. So here we have David and you can imagine the fear and the pain that's in his heart as he's, as he's on the run. And thousands have joined up with him. 
That's what it says at the beginning. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. And then when we go to verse 6, it tells us, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. So at this point in time, there are thousands and thousands and thousands that are up against uh, David. Now, you and I know that the moment that we become Christians, straight away, we face enemies. It is impossible to be a Christian and not to face opposition in this world one way or another. Sometimes our enemies are external in the face of by that, I mean the world. Other times the enemies are internal by the flesh, by what is within us. And then we have one that is external but works internally within us, the devil. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, the moment you become a Christian, these forces are against you. And you have all experienced these things at different levels, different degrees, but you all have one way or another. Sometimes you feel flattened by them. Sometimes you feel overcome by them, but still you go on. But they are, they are powerful enemies. So Satan is of no doubt he is speaking through David's enemies, trying to undermine David's faith, because that's what he's saying. What are the enemies saying? Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, that's what they were saying. That was the word. That's a word that that's a temptation. That's what they were saying of David. David, you're finished. You're washed up. You're a has been. You're history. Yes, you were God's man once, but you're no longer. You're a, you're a, you're a finished man. Your end is here. And God is not there for you anymore. You have dishonored God. Can you imagine the field day Satan is having with David at this moment? If you had been, can you put yourself in David's shoes and what you've done and you've heard God's word against you? It would be very easy to say and agree with what's being said and say, I'm finished. There's no way back. I've had it. That This is it. And what an awful way for me to end my life, being put to death by my own son. And that it would be a fearful, the temptations would be powerful. But you know, the wonderful thing is that David actually didn't sink as low as that. He knew that what was happening was as a result of what God had said. But he didn't for one moment really believe that God was finished with him. He exercised hope that one day he'd be back in Jerusalem to see the ark and to see the God's dwelling place. But if not... But I know that David, from this psalm, that he believed God was not done with him, that God hadn't washed his hands of him. And, you know, it's the same for you and me tonight. And I'll tell you something. You have not gone as low as David. You have not been. You may have done many things wrong in your life, but I'm, I can say you have not been where David was. What David did is really quite extraordinary. How he murdered that man in order to try and cover his guilt. And we find that God, God spoke so powerfully against him for that, that, that added, which, was, which made the whole thing 10 times worse. And yet David knew God wasn't finished with him. And wherever you've been and whatever you've done and however low you sometimes feel and however much you might be battered by, the, by Satan, God isn't finished with you either tonight. And he is still with you. He's still for you. He's still upholding you. 
And I'm sure enemies often come and say the very same thing to you. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him or for her now. You and I know it would be the most awful thing that could happen to us if we really felt that God was finished with us. Can you imagine if a messenger came from an angel, came from heaven and said, by the way, I know it says in the word all that it does say, but here's a message from God. He's given up on you. How would you feel? You'd be distraught. You would, be on, you, 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 you would feel your life was over. Why? This is a mark of grace because you know, you say to yourself, well, to whom else can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Whom have I in the heavens? I, but thee, O Lord, alone and in the earth whom I desire. Besides thee, there is none. That's where you've come to as a Christian. And that's why there is nobody, when push comes to shove, you know that there is nobody who fills your heart like the Lord. And so here is David. And the, the great thing with David, as he has shown over and over and over again, irrespective of how low the situation appears to be, David always turns eventually to the Lord. And that's a lesson to us. We're hearing about that on, on Sunday of just how important it is to have the Lord as our focus. So often we're not, our focus is shifted off the Lord. And that's why it is, that's what David does here. He, he turns his focus upon the Lord. And that's what he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And then he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the Lord did. He answered him. David cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered him. And I'm sure all of you here could, could tell about times when you cried to the Lord. Cried aloud. I don't know how good we are at actually crying aloud. It's interesting how often in the Psalms and the Word of God we find this that both praising and prayer, it's often loud. That we, they, There is a, a loud cry given. Well, David, David cried aloud to the Lord. And you know, God hears and answers prayer. And God was in control of David's life. And David knew that. In fact, very interestingly, David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. And uh, my glory and the lifter up of my head, a shield the idea here is one who covers. And that's what the Lord does. As we sang in Psalm 91, the, there about how, how he is our shield and our buckler. And he covers us with faithfulness, covers us like, like a hen gathers her brood. And there's the warmth of the love. There's the protection, the tenderness of the wing, and yet the strength in it. And so the Lord, the Lord covers us. And he covers us in different ways because there's a triune covering by God to every believer. We're covered by God the Father's decrees. God is a decree. There's an eternal decree for your life and mine. And we mustn't lose sight of that. God has a purpose for your life. And he's going to fulfill his purposes through you. There is a decree governing your life. And you're also covered by the imputed righteousness of Christ. That cannot be taken from you. 
And sometimes we forget what an absolutely incredible covering that is, that Christ's righteousness is covering us all the time, wherever we go, day or night, as long as we live. All, all our lives into death and beyond, covered by Christ. And we're covered by the Holy Spirit who is ministering within us, working within us. So we have the triune God covering us. And David is aware of this. And so David cries to the Lord because he knows the Lord is the deliverer and protector. I read of a, a, a man in America, John Bethune, and he stayed in Buffalo. This was a long, long time ago. He was a sailor and he was on the boats on the lakes. See, long, long, long time ago. And he was a, a really fine Christian. And he lived amongst a crew who were anything but. They were hard, uh, very, very irreligious men. But he did, over the period, lead two or three of them to Christ because he lived in such a wonderful Christ-like way. And although there were many of the sailors despised him because he was a Christian, every single one of them respected him. And the captain was amongst those. Captain was a very religious man. And he kind of despised John, but he also hugely respected him because they knew that there was something about him. And they were traveling uh, in the winter and the ice, the wind had dropped. It was a day of sails. The wind had dropped and the ice was beginning to come round the boat. And they knew that if they got trapped by the ice, the ice would crush them and they would be, they'd be lost. That would be it. And so the, the, they were, the, the, there was a narrow strait going through, but it was getting less and less as it, the ice was closing in. And John said to the captain, could I get permission to go down to my cabin to pray? And the captain said, all right because he knew the kind of man John was. So John went to his cabin and a few people joined him, including the captain, who was still an irreligious man. And John prayed and John pleaded. And he said to the Lord, Lord, we're in a terrible situation and we're all going to die. But I'm asking you, Lord, that you will change, that you will bring a wind, that you will bring even a warm wind, a wind that will enable us to catch the sail, and that we'll be able to make our, our way through, that the ice will begin to part for us. And he prayed and prayed like that, and they went back. And as they went out on the boat, they could all of a sudden, out from the cabin, they could feel that the wind had started up. And when they got to the wheel, the man said at the wheel, Poor, I said, don't know what's happened here, but there's a warm wind has come. And he said, we're going to make it. And uh, he, he said, well, I order that more canvas will go out so the sails will be unfurled more. And the captain said, no. He said, for the first time ever, I realize I'm not in control. Someone else is in control. And we'll leave it to him because he's going to take this ship through. Of course, that was the Lord. And that's, these stories are multiplied over and over and over again. God hears and God answers prayer. And David's life was a constant reminder to us of that very thing. And so we find that David is here saying, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And David knew by saying that the Lord was, that 
David was a servant of the Lord. He was king, but he was a servant king. And David was always conscious that he was serving the Lord here on earth. Wish that all our leaders would think likewise. But he knew that he was serving the Lord. And he knew that while he was still on the run, he believed that he was serving the Lord. And so we find David, it also says that he is the lifter up of my head. Isn't that wonderful? You see, God, God lifts us up again. And then uh, we find that uh, David, uh, he says, my Lord, lift it up on my head. Because when you think about it, David is looking, at, there's a lot of faith in this psalm. Because remember how David, we read about how David left, and he's going up the Mount of, Olive, and he, uh, Mount of Olives, and he's crying, and his head is covered, and he's barefoot. That, that doesn't count. The Lord is going to lift him up. And then we see in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You know, sleep is one of the great blessings that's given to us. And so often we, we're at no more, that's the most helpless moment in our experience is when we're asleep. Every night we go to sleep and we're utterly helpless in these hours while we're asleep because we can't do, in these moments, as we're out of it, we can't do anything for ourselves. We are utterly vulnerable. And there's so often we remember as, as a child, and I'm sure so many of you, but as I lay me down to sleep, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. We used to pray, used to pray that as a, as a little child. And I'm sure a lot of you have done, done the same because you knew that in sleep, oh, you can't, you're, you're out of control. And, you know, sleep, of course, as we know, is so therapeutic. But the one thing that we find difficult to do is to sleep when we're absolutely beside ourselves with worry. Well, here's David. Thousands, thousands chasing him to put him to death. What does he do? He lies down and he goes to sleep. Why? Because it says in Scripture, so he gives his beloved sleep. What a token for good that must have been to David uh, to, to find that. That he was able to able to sleep. That's what he says in verse 8 of, of, of the next psalm. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so David here is surrounded by the thousands, but he's in perfect peace. Why? Because his focus is back on the Lord. And that's what the Lord says, those uh, who have their mind stayed upon the Lord will experience perfect peace. I will not be afraid, though, of many thousands of people. It's like Elisha. Remember when he, Elisha and the, the city was surrounded and the servant was so anxious and, oh, he says, Master, we're done. Look, look, look at the huge army all around us. And Elisha says, oh, it's okay. It's more with us than with them. And probably at that moment, the servant thought, oh, Elisha's losing it here. But Elisha said, Lord, open the young man's eyes that he may see. And he prayed. that's what he prayed. And the servant's eyes were open to see that the whole hillside was covered, was surrounded by horses, chariots of fire. There was a huge angelic presence all around them. That's why we need not be afraid 
even though the, the, there are forces of thousands against you. As has often been said, one with the Lord. If you have the Lord on your side, you have a majority. Even supposing the whole world is against you. If you have the Lord, you're in a majority. Arise, O Lord, says David, verse 7, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. David often looks on his enemies like animals. And I think this is kind of that idea, because if you are a wild animal and you get hold of it and break its cheek and break its teeth, you've more or less taken away what's going to do you the damage. Because you 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 take it, take the, the whether it's a lion or a tiger or what, uh, whatever, you take out the teeth, break the teeth and break the cheek, and all of a sudden they won't pose the same threat. And I think this is what the idea that David has in, in his thinking. And then finally he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your people, your blessing be on your people. David moves all the time. It's personal. It's me. It's my. But then he goes beyond, as he so often does. Lord, all your people. Not just me, but all your people. Your blessing. The blessing of privilege. You know this? You and I tonight are the most privileged people in the world to have the Lord. Sometimes we look around and say, oh, I wish I had this, wish I had that. We have the Lord we have. We have all we really need. We have protection. That, you read this psalm again and again. Sometimes it's good when, the, when things come on top of you. And you're under the cosh. And the pressures grow. And things, because life, life is so uncertain. Sometimes Sometimes all kinds of difficulties come in our way. That's why I keep going back and I love the Psalms. Because it doesn't matter where you are, you find something there. Well, here's David and what a predicament. And yet his faith shines through. We pray that this will be an encouragement to ourselves as well. Let us pray. Lord our God, we give thanks for reflecting just for a few moments on your word. We pray that that word will be a blessing to us. We all have our own issues and needs and worries, whether they're within the family, whether they're uh, with regard to financial things, whatever it is, whether it's illnesses, the salvation of people's souls, there's, there's a thousand and one things that can weigh down upon us. Oh, Lord, be near to us. Lord, help us. Lord, do us good. Part us with your blessing, we pray, forgiving your sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll conclude singing in this actual psalm itself.